The most advanced iPhone backdoor yet, framework laptops had a data breach. The US government is protecting location data for once and much, much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 162, where we are dedicated to giving you private and secure with the latest news from the past two weeks. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm Henry from TechLore. <laughs> and it's the first podcast of 2024 and Signal still doesn't have usernames. It is a new year, but we still need support. That's a fantastic transition. I'll just keep that in. If you guys are able to support us and interested in doing so, we have a Patreon. You get $5 a month, you get to ask us a question. $10 a month, um, you get to get the expanded version of the podcast that does not have all this stuff you know, all this promo stuff, and it has more analysis, more opinions, more banter, all that fun stuff. If you are not a fan of Patreon, totally understand we have LibrePay. It's a little bit more privacy respecting. No perks on that one, though. So if you don't care about the perks, LibrePay might be worth looking into. And last but not least, we still have Monero. So if you're looking for the most anonymous and private way to support us, then Monero would be the way to go. And as always, if you are unable to support financially, we still appreciate you being here. Thanks for watching. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that fun stuff. Before we jump in this week, Henry has a quick announcement he wanted to share. Henry does have a quick announcement. So Henry's announcement is that we now have a new channel, SR Clips. So get subscribed. We want to try to get a thousand subs as soon as possible. And I think we already broke 300. So definitely hop on that ASAP. It's pretty much what we're going to do is we're pretty much clipping out specific stories from these episodes. So if you're listening to the whole episode and you love the full episode, fantastic. You can still stay here. Nothing's going to change for you. What we're doing though is you know, when we read out at the very beginning of every episode, the kind of main stories, we'll probably be picking similar stories to that and posting those as their own videos as a way to reach newer audiences. And more specifically for all of you, it allows you to share specific stories with people. So instead of having to share a 50 minute podcast and then timestamp it and all that, which might be a little intimidating for someone. And also the story you link won't even be the title and thumbnail of the video. You can also link them a direct video that's directly tied to that story. So that's kind of the, the goal here. And actually we at TechLore are paying for a SR Clips editor. So neither of us are doing that. We have a dedicated editor that's working on that. And so any support that you give to either TechLore or especially surveillance support, just give your support to surveillance support. And that's also going to help out that SR Clips channel as well. Get subscribed. And that's all I have. Yeah. Speaking of fantastic segues, our highlight story this week is about a four-year campaign of backdoored iPhones using possibly the most advanced exploit ever. So we did cover this a couple of, uh, I don't know, like six months ago or so. Kaspersky, who is an antivirus company from Russia, they have tons of different iPhones. As an antivirus company, they have tons of different devices running different versions of the software, all kinds of stuff. And they started noticing that some of their phones were behaving a little wonky. And they dug into it a little deeper and found out that several of their phones had been infected with a malware that they called triangulation. At the time, they didn't really have a lot of details. They were just like, well, this is really weird. There's this new zero-click malware we've never seen before. We'll investigate and tell you guys more. Well, they have investigated and found more. They found that this attack has been going on for at least four years that has backdoored dozens, if not thousands, of iPhones, many of which belongs to employees of Kaspersky. Chief among the discoveries, the unknown attackers were able to achieve an unprecedented level of access by exploiting a vulnerability in an undocumented hardware feature that few, if anyone, outside of Apple and chip suppliers, such as Arm Holdings, knew of. 
There are other questions that remain unanswered even after about 12 months of intensive investigation. So this was over a year ago. My bad, I misspoke. Besides how the attackers learned about the hardware feature, the researchers still don't know what precisely is the purpose. It's also unknown if the feature is a native part of the iPhone or enabled by a third-party hardware component such as ARM. A fresh infusion of details disclosed, it says Wednesday, but that was a couple weeks ago, said that triangulation exploited four critical zero-day vulnerabilities. Besides affecting iPhones, these critical zero days and the secret hardware function resided in Macs, iPods, iPads, Apple TVs, and Apple Watches. What's more, the exploits recovered were intentionally developed to work on those devices as well. Apple has patched those platforms. So just real quick, Apple has patched this for those who are worried. Make sure you update. The most intriguing new detail is the targeting of the heretofore unknown hardware feature, which proved to be pivotal to the triangulation campaign. A zero day in the feature allowed the attackers to bypass advanced hardware memory protections designed to safeguard device system integrity, even after an attacker gained the ability to tamper with the memory of the underlying kernel. To put it in other words, on most other platforms, once attackers successfully exploit a kernel vulnerability, they will have full control of the compromised system. On Apple devices equipped with these protections, such attacks are still unable to perform key post-exploitation techniques such as injection malicious code onto other processes or modifying kernel core or sensitive kernel data. This powerful protection was bypassed by exploiting a vulnerability in the secret function. The protection, which has rarely been defeated in exploits found to date, is also present in M1 and M2 CPUs. Just one more quote here coming from one of the researchers from Kaspersky. They said, this is no ordinary vulnerability. Due to the closed nature of the iOS ecosystem, the discovery process was both challenging and time-consuming, requiring a comprehensive understanding of both hardware and software architectures. What this discovery teaches us once again is that even advanced hardware protections can be rendered ineffective in the face of a sophisticated attacker, particularly when there are hardware features allowing to bypass these protections. And the article does go into very deep technical detail Maybe not very deep, but a lot more technical detail for those who want to know more about this. So, yes, variety of takeaways here. Number one, this story's probably been out for a while, so I don't know how many people are still freaking out about it, but if you are, this is kind of the same as Pegasus. The vast majority of people probably don't have to worry about this. This is definitely a nation-state thing. I don't know who. I've got several guesses. None of them are probably interested in attacking, like, the random Reddit user or the random signal user, like you're gonna have to do a lot more to get on the radar of these people. Number two, this has already been patched. I just wanna reiterate that, because again, updates are really important. Make sure you keep your stuff updated. It is really interesting that Apple had this like hidden security feature that most people didn't even know existed, and they were still able to reverse engineer and find their way around it. So I think I'll pass it off to you. I could probably come up with a few more things, but I know you've got some. Yeah. I do want to say there is one thing to my understanding. Someone please correct me if I'm wrong. Apple has formally patched the fir- I, I'm going to call this the hardware slash firmware issue. Apple has patched that issue in itself. But even if Apple didn't, lockdown mode would have still prevented this from being executed and actually properly exploited. Those are like two kind of pluses here is not only is the root issue caused but also the entire exploit chain because you can look at the graph for the exploit chain for this and it's insane to see the four zero days right it's crazy and it's really rare to combine four zero days together for one complicated attack it's kind of insane i want to say off the top of my head something like stuxnet was two i think stuxnet, no, stuxnet was four. Oh, stuxnet four as well yeah all i'll say to this is i personally this is my personal take From what I can tell, I don't think a lot of people are kind of, not a lot, but I've definitely seen some takes of people who think this is an intentional backdoor that people were trying to put in to 
attack people. That's not the vibe I get from this. In fact, the researcher specifically does not believe that. The person who reverse engineered this and found this and did the report on this specifically said that they think it's some debugging tool that was left in there and it wasn't done on purpose and that's what was exploited. So that's what we know. I'm more inclined to trust them because they're the person who's smart enough to reverse engineer this and I don't think I know better than them. So if they think that it's just a debugging tool, that's the person I'm trusting on this. But those are my thoughts. If it came out in a week that this was a super intentional backdoor, that would be very spooky stuff. But I don't think that's the case here. The last thing I'll say is this has been like very thoroughly covered on like Jonah and I talked about the whole backdoor side of this and that whole discussion on Techler Toxic, if anyone's interested. With that, we'll move into data breaches. So we'll start off with Halara, who is investigating a data breach after an attacker leaked data for 950,000 people. That is a Hong Kong company founded in 2020 and quickly became very popular through the many videos promoting its clothing on TikTok. The data contained 1 million unique, I think this is the attacker just listing out the literal like field IDs from the spreadsheet. 1 million unique address ID, first name, last name, phone numbers, country, home address, zip, province, city, and ISO, whatever that is, ISO. While Bleeping Computer has not been able to confirm if all of the data is accurate, they contacted multiple people listed in the file and have confirmed that they are all Halara customers and that their listed phone numbers, names, and addresses were correct. Framework, which is that modular laptop that people really enjoy, discloses a data breach after an accountant got fished. Um, and so this is a company that was being used for accounting purposes called Keating Consulting Group. This included full names, email addresses, and balance owed. Theft of a Vancouver sexual assault crisis center server containing sensitive data raises privacy concerns. So this was an actual like physical robbery. Somebody broke in and stole the physical server containing sensitive personal information and banking details from the office last month. They don't believe that this was basically targeting the data, which I agree. Why wouldn't they just hack them? Because that'd probably be easier. You know, it was probably just like a break-in and somebody was like, ooh, computer thing and stole it. The spokesperson said, it is possible that your name, email address, telephone numbers, and notes about safety risks or what services you have requested could be released, sold, and shared publicly. Client individual files, case notes, and medical information were not compromised because they are held on an encrypted third-party platform. The stolen server also contained donor, bank account details, and pictures of checks, including names, addresses, and phone numbers, according to a separate email. Law firm that handles data breaches was hit by data breach. So this is the San Francisco-based Oric, Harrington, and Sutcliffe. But they said last week that hackers stole the personal information and sensitive health data of more than 637,000 data breach victims from a file share on its network during an intrusion in March 2023. Oric works with companies that are hit by security incidents, including data breaches. And they also said that stolen data includes consumer names, date of births, postal addresses, and email addresses, and government-issued identification numbers, such as SSNs, passports, and driver's license numbers, and tax IDs. The data also includes medical treatment and diagnosis information, insurance claims information, such as the date and cost of services, and healthcare insurance numbers and provider details. Ulrich said that the breach includes online account credentials and credit or debit card numbers. Victoria in Australia, court recordings exposed in a reported ransomware attack. So Australia's Court Services Victoria, or CSV, is warning that video recordings of court hearings were exposed after suffering a reported Oilin ransomware attack. Exposed recordings go as far back as November 1st, and the attack was detected on December 21st for context. Specifically, this impacted the Supreme Court, the County Court, the Magistrates Court, the Children's Court, and the Coroner's Court. The article has details on exactly what types of cases and what dates were 
affected per court. So if any of that sounds like it might relate to you or someone you know, there are more details in the article. And because the recordings contain a mix of public and confidential information, depending on the case, they may expose sensitive information regarding those cases. Data breach at a healthcare tech firm impacts 4.5 million patients, and this impacted Health EC, which provides a population health management platform that healthcare organizations can use for data integration, analytics, care coordination, patient engagement, compliance, and reporting. The breach lasted between July 14th and the 23rd of 2023. This was not disclosed until December 22nd. This included names, addresses, date of births, diagnosis, social security numbers, taxpayer IDs, medical record numbers, medical information, pretty much everything actually, including billing and claims, health insurance. Yeah, I mean, this is a whole like paragraph of just everything that was part of this breach actually. So if you think it, they, they leaked it. Hyundai Motor India fixes bug that exposed customers' personal data. Quoting the article, TechCrunch reviewed a portion of the exposed data that included the registered owner name, mailing address, email address, and phone number of Hyundai Motor India customers who have serviced their vehicles at any of the company's authorized service stations across India. The bug also disclosed vehicle details, including the registration number, color, engine number, and mileage covered. Hyundai Motor India did not answer questions about whether it had the technical means, such as logs, to determine any improper access to customer records, nor would the company say if any bad actors exploited the issue. The bug exposed customers' personal information through web links Hyundai Motor India shared with customers over WhatsApp after receiving their vehicles for servicing at an authorized service station. The web links that redirected customers to repair orders and invoices and PDF files contained the customer's phone number. A malicious actor could expose the information of other customers by changing the phone number in the link. Fidelity National Financial says hackers stole data on 1.3 million customers during a November cyber attack that knocked the company offline for a week. The filing did not say what specific customer data was stolen, but said FNF is, can anyone guess what they're providing to everyone? Credit monitoring and identity theft services to affected customers. I don't see the timeline for how long, so we're, I'm going to guess either one or two years. With that, we'll move into companies, and we got some pretty disturbing ones this week. We'll start with Meet Link History, Facebook's new way to track the websites you visit. So according to the article, Facebook recently rolled out a new link history setting that creates a special repository of all the links you click on in the Facebook mobile app. You can opt out if you're proactive, but the company is pushing link history on users and the data is used for targeted ads. The company pinches link history as a useful tool for consumers with your browsing activity saved in one place rather than another way to keep tabs on your behavior. With the new settings, you'll, quote, never lose a link again, Facebook says in a pop-up encouraging users to consent to the new tracking method. The company goes on to mention that, quote, when you allow link history, we may use your information to improve your ads across meta technologies, unquote. The app keeps the toggle switched on in the pop-up, steering users towards accepting link history unless they take the time to look carefully. Facebook promises to delete link history when it's created for you within 90 days if you turn the setting off. According to a Facebook help page, link history isn't available everywhere. The company says it's rolling out globally over time. A Google contractor pays parents $50 to scan their children's faces. This is a Canadian tech conglomerate, TELUS, which says it's working on Google's behalf. It's offering parents $50 to film their children wearing various props, such as hats or sunglasses, as part of the project. Google told 404 Media the collection was part of the company's efforts to verify users' age. Participants can expect to spend 30 to 45 minutes on the task, and the project requires that those being filmed are minors, and specifically between 13 and 17 years old. They will need two devices, one to film the video and another in order to be on a call with their team members during the collection process. During the call, the child will also need to show a form of identification, such as a state ID card, passport, or driver's license, if available. Google told 404 Media in an email that TELUS was enlisted to find people to participate in the study, but TELUS itself did not receive any of the videos submitted. 
Google's put strict privacy protections in place, including limiting the amount of time the data will be retained and providing all participants the option to delete their data at any time. All right, so this next one comes from Proton, but um, it was enlightening. So I wanted to share this one. It says Outlook is Microsoft's new data collection service. So according to Proton, Microsoft is rolling out a new Outlook for Windows, and it appears the company has transformed its email app into a surveillance tool for targeted advertising. So I'm kind of condensing everything that was in the article here. For starters, Microsoft shares your data with 772 third parties. They could also potentially steal your password. And quoting the uh, blog post here, when you sync third-party email accounts from services like Yahoo or Gmail with a new Outlook, you risk granting Microsoft access to the IMAP and SMTP credentials, emails, contacts, and events associated with those accounts. You can't use the new Outlook without syncing all this information with Microsoft Cloud. There is only the option to cancel. It is also configured to send login details, including usernames and passwords, directly to Microsoft servers. Although the transfer is secured with TLS, your IMAP and SMTP username and password are submitted in plain text. XDA, which is a, um, I guess you could call it a hacker forum, like white hat hacker forum. XDA was able to show their test credentials for a third-party email service provider on Microsoft servers. Microsoft is enabling itself to access your email account at any time without your knowledge, allowing it to scan and analyze your emails and share them with third parties. What kind of data does Microsoft collect? Quote, a deeper dive into Microsoft's privacy policy shows what kind of personal data it may extract. Name and contact data, passwords, demographic data, payment data, subscription and licensing data, search queries, device and usage data, error reports and performance data, voice data, text, inking and typing data, images, location data, content, feedback and ratings and traffic data. Twilio will ditch its Authy desktop 2FA app in August to go mobile only. So Authy is a 2FA app that's, you know, normally cloud-based and it's one of the more normy 2FA apps. I'd say a lot of people use Authy. And they have desktop apps for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux, which will be discontinued in August 2024 with the company recommending users switch to only the mobile apps. Twilio notes that the iOS app will remain available to download on M1, M2 Apple computers. So Mac OS users on Apple Silicon Harbor won't be affected for now, which is kind of just a workaround. Twilio lists alternative desktop apps for users who can't or prefer not to use mobile devices for 2FA, which does have really good recommendations, including 1Password, XC, and Authenticator. Step two, and secrets, it is noted that the Authy app lacks an export feature, so those who switch to another 2FA app will have to first disable Authy from every platform it's used on, and then set up 2FA again on the new app. The next one's pretty quick, but, you know, relevant to our audience. The MySudo browser extension has landed. So if you're a MySudo user, which is a voice over IP app for those who don't know, so with the new extension, you can autofill your sudo details directly from your browser into the websites you visit. You can select a specific sudo to use with a specific website on your desktop. Your desktop will stay in sync with the sudos in your mobile device. So if you create a new sudo or modify an existing sudo, it will automatically update over on your desktop. And it is available on Firefox, Chromium, and Safari. Last pass. They now require a 12-character master password for better security, and they are starting to enforce this requirement. Well, they already did enforce this since April 2023 for new accounts or password resets, but older accounts could still use passwords with fewer than 12 characters. But that's going to change because starting this month, they are enforcing um, a 12-character master password requirement for all accounts. And it will also start checking newer updated master passwords against the database of credentials previously leaked on the dark web to ensure that they don't match already compromised accounts. As part of the same effort to increase account security, LastPass also started a forced multi-factor authentication re-enrollment process in May of 2023, 
which led to many users experiencing significant login issues and getting locked out of their accounts. With that, we will go into the research section. We're going to start off with an interesting one. Kyber slash attacks put quantum encryption projects at risk. I'm really condensing the article here. This is bleeping computer and they have a tendency to be very technical. There are multiple implementations of the Kyber key encapsulation mechanism for quantum safe encryption, and they are now vulnerable to a set of flaws collectively referred to as Kyber slash, which could allow the recovery of secret keys. Basically, if that went over your head, all you need to know is Kyber is a new supposedly quantum resistant encryption. It's designed to keep your stuff encrypted even in the era of quantum computers. Popular projects using implementations of Kyber are Mulvad VPN and Signal Messenger. The latter, Mulvad, announced last year that it adopted the Crystal's Kyber KEM as an additional layer that attackers must break to compute the keys that protect users' communications. The worst case scenario is the leaking of secret keys, but this doesn't mean that all projects using Kyber are vulnerable to key leaks. The repercussions of Kyber Slash depend on the Kyber implementation and can vary depending on the practical use case and additional security measures. So Mulvad has already said that this doesn't affect them, and I do have a link to that blog post. Signal has not commented. On the topic of quantum stuff, 30 years later, a speed boost for quantum factoring. So this is a landmark paper showing how a hypothetical computer that exploited the quirks of quantum physics could break large numbers into their prime factors far faster than any ordinary classical machine. At the time, public key cryptography relied on the assumption that factoring large numbers is so computationally difficult as to be effectively impossible, which is how most of our encryption works. And this assumption still underpins some critical protocols today. Shor's algorithm showed that it would fail spectacularly in a world with powerful quantum computers. In the past 30 years, computer scientists have streamlined his algorithm in preparation for the day that quantum technology matures enough to run it. But a new variant from the New York University computer scientist Oded Rajev is faster in a fundamentally new sense. It's the first to improve the relationship between the size of the number being factored and the number of quantum operations required to factor it. A cryptographer at the Swedish National Communication Security Authority agreed that the paper is interesting but cautioned that beating the state of the art in practice will require further optimization. The original algorithm is already very efficient, so it is not trivial to make major improvements. And also, this is a gross simplification, and the article goes into much further detail, but it's pretty confusing, and we don't want to overwhelm listeners with quite literally quantum math, uh, which many people already struggle with. So if you are someone who's interested in this, definitely take a look down in the description, and I'm sure you'll learn a thing or two about how encryption works and everything about quantum encryption and quantum computers and physics and all that stuff. And our last research story says Linux devices are under attack by a never-before-seen worm. For the past year, previously unknown self-replicating malware has been compromising Linux devices around the world and installing crypto-mining malware that takes unusual steps to conceal its inner workings. The worm is a customized version of Mirai, the botnet malware that infects Linux-based servers, routers, web cameras, and other so-called IoT devices. Instead of targeting weak Telnet passwords, the NoahBot, which is this one, targets weak passwords connecting SSH connections. On the surface, Noabot isn't a very sophisticated campaign. It's quote-unquote just a Mirai variant and an XMR rig crypto miner, and they're a dime a dozen nowadays, according to one Akamai, senior security researcher. However, the obfuscations added to the malware and the additions to the original source paint a vastly different picture of the threat actor's capabilities. Again, the article goes into a lot of detail. They talk about how this bot, like, basically like encrypts the payload to evade detection and then also like it's programmed in a different language than Mirai was 
So it's harder for anti antivirus software to like notice it. They say it's hard to know at the moment if Knowabot remains a botnet of less than 1,000 infected hosts or if the honeypot has only seen a small fraction of the affected devices. As usual, if we hear anything new about this, we will keep you updated. Politics. Politics. Okay, FTC bans X mode from selling phone location data and orders firm to delete collected data. So the first of its kind settlement prohibits Xmode, now known as OutLogic, from sharing and selling users' sensitive information to others. The settlement will also require the data broker to delete or destroy all the location data it previously collected, along with any products produced from this data, unless the company obtains consumer consent or ensures the data has been de-identified. So the FTC alleged that Xmode sold precise location data that could be used to track people's visits to sensitive locations, such as medical and reproductive health clinics, places of religious worship, and domestic abuse shelters. The regulator also alleged that the data broker failed to remove the sensitive locations from the raw location data it sold to third parties and did not implement reasonable or appropriate safeguards against downstream use of the precise location data. Xmode also failed to ensure that users of its own apps, Drunk Mode and Walk Against Humanity, were fully informed about how their precise location data would be used, the FTC said. As per the order, Xmode must also implement procedures to ensure that recipients of its location data do not associate the data with locations that provide services to LGBTQIA people, provide a simple way for consumers to withdraw their consent for the collection and use of their location data, and establish and implement a comprehensive privacy program that protects the privacy of consumers' personal information. This is just something I wanted to share with y'all because I thought it was kind of cool. EFF unveils its new street-level surveillance hub. The hub has new or updated pages on automated license plate readers, biometric surveillance, body-worn cameras, camera networks, cell site simulators, drones and robots, face recognition, electronic monitoring, gunshot detection, forensic extraction tools, police access to the Internet of Things, predictive policing, community surveillance app, real-time location tracking, social media monitoring, and police databases. It also features links to the latest articles by the EFF street-level surveillance working group consisting of attorneys, police analysts, technologies, and activists with extensive experience in this field. All right, we have a geofence warrant typo which cast a location dragnet spanning two miles over san francisco attorneys at the aclu of northern california found what they called an alarming error in a geofence warrant application that resulted in a warrant stretching nearly two miles across san francisco the error likely caused by a typo allowed the requesting law enforcement agency to capture information on anyone who entered the stretch of san francisco erroneously marked on the search warrant it's not known which law enforcement agency requested the nearly two-mile-long geofence warrant or for how long the warrant was in effect, and the attorneys questioned how many other geofence warrant application mistakes had slipped through and resulted in the return of vastly more data in error. Meta faces another EU privacy challenge over pay-for-privacy consent choice. Meta's bid to keep tracking and profiling users of Facebook and Instagram in Europe in spite of the bloc's comprehensive data protection laws is facing a second challenge from privacy rights advocacy group NOIB. It's supporting a new complaint which is being filed with the Austrian Data Protection Authority that alleges the company is breaching EU law by framing a choice that makes it far harder for users to withdraw consent to its tracking ads than to agree. Just for those wondering what is the difference between this complaint and the last one that Noib filed, Noib's earlier complaint against Meta's version of consent filed with the Austrian DPA last November focused on how much Meta is charging for users not to be tracked, which it argues is way out of proportion to how much value the company derives per user. This second complaint addresses how easy or rather not easy Meta makes it for its users to withdraw their consent to tracking under the arrangement. 
Amnesty confirms Apple warning, Indian journalists' iPhones infected with Pegasus spyware. So Apple's warnings in late October that Indian journalists and opposition figures may have been targeted by state-sponsored attacks prompted a forceful counterattack from the prime minister's government. Officials publicly touted Apple's findings and announced a probe into device security. India has never confirmed nor denied using the Pegasus tool, but nonprofit advocacy group Amnesty International reported Thursday that it found NSO Group's invasive spyware on the iPhones of prominent journalists in India, lending more credibility to Apple's early warnings. The Washington Post separately reported that Apple faced heat from senior officials from Modi's administration, who behind closed doors earlier demanded Apple soften the political impact of the warnings. Senior officials summoned Apple's representatives to insist they provide alternative explanations, even flying in an Apple security expert to meet with ministry leaders, the report adds. The pressure campaign by Indian officials to soften the impact of the warnings disturbed Apple executives in California, but achieved limited results. While Apple India officials initially helped cast doubt on the alerts, issuing a statement that in part said it was possible some notifications may be false alarms, the company issued no follow-up statement, placating authorities after the expert's visit. Google has agreed to settle a Chrome incognito mode class action lawsuit. So Google has indicated that it is ready to settle a class action lawsuit filed in 2020 over its Chrome browser's incognito mode. Arising in the Northern District of California, the lawsuit accused Google of continuing to track, collect, and identify users' browsing data in real time, even when they had opened a new incognito window. Google initially attempted to have the lawsuit dismissed by pointing out that the message displayed when users turned on Chrome's incognito mode. That warning tells users that their activity, quote, might still be visible to websites you visit, unquote. The judge rejected Google's bid for a summary judgment in August, pointing out that Google never revealed to its users that data collection continued even while surfing in incognito. For those of you just joining us who may not be aware, incognito mode isn't. China claims it cracked Apple's airdrop to find numbers and email addresses. A Chinese state-backed research institute claims to have discovered how to decrypt device logs for Apple's airdrop feature, allowing the government to identify phone numbers or email addresses of those who shared content. This is using rainbow tables. The research claimed to have been able to dehash the fields to gain access to the sender's information. And China says they have already used this forensics ability to identify multiple suspects involved in the case. To get around censorship in the country, people turned to Apple's airdrop feature, which doesn't require cell service and uses Bluetooth and a private Wi-Fi network to send images and photos between devices. During the 2019 pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, protesters frequently used airdrop to share pamphlets and posters. In 2022, Chinese protesters again turned to airdrop to spread awareness of protests and anti-Xi messages. There is one little note here that I did want to throw in. I forgot the year, but the only thing that's a little bit concerning about this case that I'm not a fan of is that this issue was actually reported to Apple years ago. 2019. Thank you. So back in 2019, some researchers already reported this issue to Apple, and I believe Apple either rubbed it off as not a big deal, or they just didn't deal with it. And now we're starting to see this actually come to light. With that, we'll move into free and open source software. And we have some kind of sad news, potentially sad news, but maybe not. Divest OS is fundraising and is no longer sustainable. So for those who don't know, Divest OS is a... How would I describe it? It's an Android custom OS. It's got a heavy focus on security. It's very hardened, but it's also got a very heavy focus on de-Googling. For example, like how Calyx has MicroG to replace Google services. Divest just doesn't have anything. So if you download a service, like I think ProtonMail is one of them, right? That like requires either MicroG or Google push or something. I could be wrong. But if you download one of those services that like absolutely needs Google push services to work, and doesn't have a fallback like Tutanota and 3 do, it just, it won't work. You just won't get notifications. Like it'll work, you just won't get notifications. It's a pretty cool project, but it's also pretty hardcore, unless you're like really 
de-Googled. It may not be right for everyone, but Divest OS and the Divested Projects as they currently stand are ultimately unsustainable. This is from the developer. My goal for 2023 was to acquire a grant to continue my work. I was unsuccessful. Today, I am announcing a fundraiser of $12,000 USD by the end of February. It may be a stretch to ask, but I hope you all have found sufficient value in my work to keep these projects going. If it is unsuccessful, I will switch to a full-time job and the Divested Projects will have to take a back seat. To those who have donated, I truly appreciate your support. I got to be honest, man, 12 grand for a year. That is not a huge ask in my opinion. That's not a lot. And that's like to cover all his living expenses. I don't know if maybe he has like other support coming in from other stuff. But when I read that, I was like, wait, this is supposed to cover like food and housing and like that is not a lot of money. He must live in a very inexpensive area. He also makes for those of you who may not have heard of Divest, but you may have heard of some of these other things. He makes the Mole browser for Android, the Mulch browser for Android, I think. Okay, hold on. I'm on the website right now. Divest OS Mobile. Oh, router firmware. Interesting. Software, domain block lists, videos. Wow. I actually did not know all that. He does a lot of stuff. Okay, he does CVE checker. That's cool. He also contributes to other projects too. So I think he's contributed to Lineage, Calyx OS, and other Android ROMs as well. So there are some things that he contributes to the community as well. Unofficial hardened Malik package. Interesting. Here's the apps. Uh, Hypatia, that's the one I was thinking of. It's a real-time malware scanner. Mull, Mulch. I guess that's there's a couple others, but those are kind of like the big ones that some people might recognize. Oh, uh, and for those who are wondering, at the time of recording this, they need 12,000 and they're a little over 4,000 at the time of progress as of January 10th is what their website says. So January 10th, they're over a third of the way there. So yeah, if you have a few bucks and you want to support a cool project, Check them out. Literally a few bucks. Like this is probably going to get at least three, 4,000 views. So a few bucks would send them over. So even if all you can do is like share it around and spread the word, I'm, I'm sure he'd appreciate that too. JMP data plans. So the JMP data plan is for customers no longer behind a waiting list. So JMP is a way to essentially get a VOIP number via, I believe it's XMPP. So you can pretty much use any XMPP client to have VOIP. For those not yet familiar with the plan, this is a USA plus Canada plan for now, and also data only. So no phone number, since if you want one of those, you have to use JMP. It works like other prepaid data plans you might be used to, except greatly simplified. Data never expires. There's a nominal annual fee to keep a plan active, and by default, auto refills when it gets low. Data is purchased in blocks of 5 gigabytes and works on most major carriers in the US and Canada. Any JMP customer can now go into your account settings and use a command to buy one or more data plans delivered using either a physical SIM in postal mail or eSIM download. People who want a data plan but don't want a JMP number will need to wait a little longer and can still add themselves to the waiting list for now as they work out the billing system changes needed to support this seamlessly. Our next FOSS story comes from Tuda, who says that AES-256 is now securing all your encrypted Tuda emails. With the latest update, all Tuda accounts are now utilizing Argon2 and AES-256 encryption by default. The security improvement is the next step towards full post-quantum encryption. On our road to achieve quantum security, we are now updating our asymmetric cryptography, currently rsa 2048. In a next step, we are focusing on rotating the existing encryption keys and key verification. With this current release, we are also rolling out support for a new quantum-safe hybrid encryption protocol that we designed. We will describe this in detail in a future blog post. This protocol is not yet actively used by clients, but we will enable it for new accounts as one of the next steps. Afterwards, we will work on encryption key rotations so that our existing customers can also reach quantum safety. Once rolled out, it will be possible to replace existing AES-128 and keys with the new AES-256 keys. 
The same will be possible with the asymmetric RSA 2048, which will be replaced with both X25519 and Kyber 1024, turning the protocol into a hybrid, classical, and quantum-safe public key protocol. And then just for those curious who maybe know a little bit about encryption, why did Tuda Mail use AES-128 before? Back in 2012, when we started developing Tuda, these were considered so secure that there was a debate whether 256 would be necessary at all, given the powerful encryption of 128. Based on this argument, in addition to the fact that performance on mobile devices of 128 was so much better compared to 256, we opted to design our encryption protocol based on 128. Today, as we see the rise of quantum computers, the unambiguous scientific opinion is that only 256 can future-proof your data and protect it against upcoming attacks from quantum computers. However, this does not mean that data protected by 128 is susceptible to any attacks known today, just for those who might be concerned. I apologize if I, I suddenly sound really stuffy. It is end of day here. It is allergy season, and my allergy meds are wearing off. Simple Login is moving its legal domicile to Switzerland. Nothing about the service you receive will change. The app, the payments, everything will remain the same. The only changes are data requests from law enforcement must now go through the Swiss legal system and meet the high thresholds laid out in Swiss law before they can be acted upon. Two, by switching to Swiss law, Simple Login will no longer face the potential obligation to implement France's data retention policies. They believe both of these changes will contribute to better privacy protection for the Simple Login community. Misfits! Update your white ha hacking skills with $70 off this training bundle. This is 100% an ad, not from us for the record, but for those who are interested in getting started or learning more in the field, it's just something worth checking out. It's just a white hat certification bundle and this includes things from different experts and certifications are another significant focus of the bundle with detailed courses on uh, CompTIA's Pentest Plus and Cybersecurity Analyst SISA Plus credentials and it includes some people like Nathan House and expert trainer Joe Paris. We have zero affiliation with this whatsoever. So absolutely just kind of like signal boosting this for people who are interested in this. You put this in here. So I don't know if you have any other thoughts. Yeah, my bad. I didn't even think about that. This came across my feed. I think it was from Bleeping Computer. I think with the discount, it's like 40 bucks or something. I don't know. I just wanted to share it. Yeah, we're not affiliated with this, but I just saw this and I was like, well, I'm interested in this. Other people might be interested in this too. And as a bonus, it helps with certifications. If any of you guys are like trying to get a cert and like, you know, start a career or improve your career or whatever. Next story is about a game mod on Steam that was breached to push password stealing malware. This was Downfall, which is a fan expansion of the popular Slay the Spire indie strategy game. And it was breached on Christmas Day to push Epsilon information stealing malware using the Steam update system. The compromise package is the pre-packaged standalone modified version of the original game and not a mod installed via Steam Workshop. The developer goes into detail about like how they were compromised and everything for those who are curious. Once installed on a compromised computer, the malware will collect cookies and save passwords and credit cards from web browsers like Chrome, Yandex, Edge, Firefox, Brave, and Vivaldi, as well as Steam and Discord info. It will also look for documents containing password in the file names and for more credentials, including the local Windows login and Telegram. Another signal boost, Gentle January, the least intimidating privacy tips from The Markup. And it's pretty much talking about they wanted to kick off 2024 together with something calming, practical, and dare they think fun. They've collected more than a dozen tips from their Cracker Jack team on how to better shield yourself from privacy and security threats in 2024. Um, and they're calling it Gentle January. So uh, kind of a fun thing there. And they're also interested in hearing advice. So they know that readers are especially privacy conscious and have plenty of their own tips to share. So if you have a minute, they'd love to hear the answer to the question, which is what is one practical piece of advice on how to maintain your privacy that you actually do yourself? And you can send an answer and publish it that they can publish along with how you'd like to be identified to tips at themarkup.org. 
And that's all we got this week. Kind of a big catch up. Thank you guys for sticking with us. We had pretty hardcore, most advanced iPhone backdoor yet. Thankfully, it sounds like most of us listening are probably not affected by that, but it's still really fascinating and it's always good to know what's going on, how these things work. Framework laptops had a data breach. If you already bought one, you're probably safe. But again, it was um, somebody was tricked, unfortunately, like sometimes the, the simple stuff works pretty well. And the U.S. government is cracking down on location data. Good stuff. We hope to see more of that and much, much more. As with all of our stories, if we hear anything, we will try to keep you guys updated. A reminder that if you want to support this podcast and keep us going, we have Patreon. $10 a month or more, you get to get the version of this podcast that doesn't have ads, doesn't have this sponsor segment, has more of our analysis, our banter, our jokes. For $5 a month, then you get to ask us a question for our Q&A, which will come out a little bit later this week. We had some pretty good ones this week, as we usually do. If you are not a fan of Patreon and or you don't care about the perks, we have LibrePay, which is just another recurring way to contribute without having to deal with Patreon. And last but not least, we of course have Monero, which is the most anonymous and private way to support us. We don't see anything about you. We do see the contributions. We thank you all very much for those who have contributed. So thank you guys for listening. The final thing we want to ask you, as always, share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rate if you can we're trying to reach as many people as possible and you can help us do that and we will be back next week with more privacy and security news